Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Friends, even in our joy, we know sorrow, for we know that we have not always walked in the ways that God would have us walk. We know that there are things that separate us from God, but we know the good news of the gospel. We know that God will forgive us when we draw close with penitent hearts and confess our sin before God and one another. So let us do that now, first using the prayer that is printed in our bulletin and then continuing in silence. Let us pray. God, you call us and love us, and yet there are many times when we fail to recognize your love and presence. We get so preoccupied with our own lives that we ignore your vision for the world. Out of our own selfishness, we ignore the needs of others. Out of our own pride, we fail to ask for help when we are in need. You taught us to live in right relationship with you and one another, but too often we are closed off, only looking inward. Open our eyes to see your presence in our lives. Open our ears to hear those around us. And open our hearts to show your love in the world. Let us pray. Lord, we do not always find it easy to recognize you coming to us. Come, reveal yourself to us. Meet us in the breaking of the bread. Set our heavy hearts on fire with love for you and send us on our way rejoicing. For your name's sake, amen. Today's gospel reading is from the 24th chapter of Luke. Listen for the word of God. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? What things? The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, and why do your doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. The season was winter. It was a cold and clear December evening. My father and I were attending the Christmas pageant and hymn sing-along at Noble Road Presbyterian Church, the church that I grew up in. Now that I was a college student, I was no longer one of the pageant participants, but merely an eager member of the audience, enjoying the costumes and the energy, all of the youth and children who were involved. I was singing along with the hymns. When the pageant arrived at the part of the story where Jesus was born and the announcement goes out, all of the shepherds and wise men, along with their donkeys and lambs and lions, and I think there was even a hawk at this particular nativity scene, they ran around the sanctuary skipping and shouting, Alleluia! Jesus is born! Emmanuel! God is with us! And all of a sudden... One of the shepherds, an Easter shepherd perhaps, proclaims loudly and boldly, 
Christ is risen. (laughs) There was, in fact, some laughter. I personally tilted my head to the side, a little confused at the mixing and mashing of holidays. But without missing a beat, my father proclaimed loudly and boldly in response, He is risen indeed. It may have been the Christmas pageant, but we still proclaim that Christ is risen. Because it does not matter what time of the year it is. It doesn't matter what season of the church we're in or what season, summer, winter, or fall, or spring. This is good news. It is the best good news ever. So we as Christians continually, most frequently on Easter, proclaim loudly and boldly that Christ is risen. Thank you. We are currently in the church season known as Easter Tide, that season of Easter where we continue to celebrate the resurrection and we remember the days and times where the resurrected Jesus appeared to and dwelt with his disciples. But it is not only on Easter or in Easter Tide that we celebrate the resurrection. Early Christians would gather on the first day of the week as we continue to gather on Sundays in order to celebrate and to remember and to proclaim the profound, revolutionary, earth-changing, best good news ever that Christ is risen. Christians gather together on the first day of the week because it was on the first day of the week when Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, along with the other women, went to the tomb. And they found that the tomb was empty. The opening words from our gospel reading this Sunday were and are now on that same day, that same first day of the week, that very first Easter morning, when the tomb was found empty. And later that day, two disciples are walking on the road heading to Emmaus, a village that is just a few miles away from Jerusalem, filled with grief, discussing all that had happened over the last few days. Cleopas and another unnamed disciple, his companion, have heard the report from the women who found the empty tomb But unfortunately, they have failed to believe, or perhaps they just have failed to understand what was told to them. And I don't really think I can blame them. Can you possibly imagine what it must have been like to be one of the disciples following Jesus as he triumphantly rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, expecting and hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel? But after sharing a meal with his disciples... Jesus is betrayed. He is arrested, mocked, beaten, put on trial before the assembly of the elders, sent before Pilate and Herod, publicly sentenced to death. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. The disciples have had their worlds rocked. The teacher they followed, the friend they ate with, the leader they believed in, was publicly executed and humiliated by the Roman Empire. Jesus died. It is probably all they can think about. Somewhere in their grief, Cleopas and his companion disciple have been told that the tomb is empty, 
Yet how can they possibly believe that Jesus is alive again? Because if there's anything we know, dead is dead. And how can they possibly think about anything else? So as they are joined by a traveler who asks, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They are taken aback. The news that Jesus of Nazareth was executed was not only the talk of the two disciples, but it was the talk of the town. Anyone who was in the vicinity of Jerusalem over these past few days has probably heard of what happened. And what else would the disciples be talking about? This is the breaking news of the day. It would be the top trending, most shared story on social media and the opening lead of our evening news. It is the only thing that the disciples can talk about. So they explain what happened to Jesus of Nazareth, to Jesus of Nazareth, as they walk along the road together. But they cannot quite bring themselves to proclaim the truth that Jesus predicted and the truth that they have heard reported, that the tomb is empty, the truth that Jesus Christ is risen. The disciples have reservations and doubt. They mention that some of the women from the group have told them of the empty tomb. And even when some of the other disciples have confirmed that the body of Jesus is not there, there remains doubt and mystery. And what a mystery it must be. Where is Jesus' body? We, as the audience, readers, and listeners, know that Jesus, body and all, is walking along the road right there with the disciples. But the disciples cannot recognize him, even though we, as the audience, know that the traveler and Jesus are one in the same. It makes me think of how no one seems to be able to recognize Clark Kent and Superman are one in the same. That is until Clark Kent takes off his glasses. The small change from glasses on to glasses off is the difference that it makes for people to recognize and truly see Superman. No one expects to see Superman working at the Daily Planet or walking along the road. And yet somehow, some way, while he's wearing his glasses, he is unrecognizable. He goes along his daily life until the moment where he removes his glasses and reveals that iconic outfit with the giant S on his chest. All of us who have read the comics or watched the television shows or cartoons or numerous movies, us as the audience, we know that Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same. But for some reason, all of the characters in Metropolis are prevented from seeing Superman in the face of Clark Kent. And for some reason, Cleopas and his companion are prevented from seeing Jesus Christ in the face of the traveler. The disciples cannot recognize him. Maybe it's because they are not expecting to see him. But they do see him on the road, and it is along the road to Emmaus where Jesus unexpectedly does appear to his disciples. But it is not until Jesus blesses and breaks the bread that the disciples recognize him. 
Clark Kent takes off his glasses, and the people recognize him as Superman. The traveler breaks bread, and the disciples recognize him as our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. It is in this act of breaking bread that reminds the disciples of the Last Supper they shared together just four days earlier. It reminds them of how Jesus fed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. It reminds them of the countless other meals that they undoubtedly have shared with Jesus along their journey. Meals with sinners and tax collectors, outcasts. It is in this moment of sharing and eating, this moment of breaking bread together where the disciples finally recognize and know the very real, the very true presence of the risen Jesus Christ. Cleopas and his companions see this traveler in a new and fuller way through the breaking of bread. Their vision has been transformed. In a very literal sense, the disciples have a new and transformed vision of the traveler they now know to be Jesus. Their eyes have been opened, and they can loudly and boldly proclaim that Christ is risen. In another sense, the disciples now have a radically transformed vision of the world. The act of breaking bread reminds them of the teachings that Jesus imparted to all of his disciples and to all of us as well. Teachings about repentance and forgiveness, mercy and justice, about feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, and welcoming the stranger. The act of breaking bread reminds us that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, outcasts, oddballs, and all our world would call others. The act of breaking bread reminds us of how Jesus taught us to live in relation to one another, loving our neighbors as we would love ourselves, and reminding us of who our neighbors truly are. The act of breaking bread reminds us of how Jesus taught us about the kingdom of God, where the powers that would seek to divide us have been overturned. And through his resurrection, even the power of death itself has been overcome. In the act of breaking bread, we experience the presence of our risen Lord. Also, in the act of breaking bread and in the sacrament of communion, we see with a new and transformed vision that continues to proclaim the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last June, I had the occasion to celebrate communion at an important event. Relatives and friends gathered together from far and near, traveling from all over the country, from Virginia and Oklahoma, from New York and Georgia, Ohio, Kansas, Texas, North and South Carolina, Maryland, probably a few other states that I can't remember, and even a few people who traveled from entirely different countries, gathered to worship God and to celebrate the covenantal vows of marriage. Two people who had before this day were seen and viewed in one way have changed their relationship forever and will be seen to each other, and to all of those who had gathered in a new way.
two families that have come together to create one family in a new and transformed way. That is what we celebrated during the wedding. And my now wife, Essie, and I had decided that after the official pronouncement, while we are still in this worship space and still in the ceremony, that we wanted to have communion in the ceremony. We wanted to break bread together, not just to see ourselves and our relatives, but all of, not just to see ourselves and our relatives, but all of our friends, these people who we call family, in a new and transformed way. My mother and father, both of whom are ordained ministers, presided over our celebration at the Lord's Supper. They invited all who trust in our risen Lord to come and partake. Essie took the bread, I took the cup. We served our musicians, our brothers, an uncle or two, and my grandparents sitting on the first row. Then her parents joined us, and we served all who had gathered together to worship. We asked everyone to participate in this meal together. This meal where we experience Jesus, where we are made one with Christ and with one another, where we know the love of God, not just in that chapel or sanctuary, but where we know the love of God that makes us one family across the world. This meal that we share with our friends and families, this meal that we share with sinners and outcasts. Because the love of God breaks through the barriers that divide us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that love unites us together as one family. We decided to include communion in our wedding because it is in that breaking of bread, the pouring of the cup, the sharing of communion, that we both recognize and experience the presence of our risen Christ along our journeys, where we experience the love of God and where we catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God, where hunger, the kingdom of God, where hunger, oppression, divisions and hatred and everything that would seek to divide us has been erased, where peace prevails, justice rules, and where love unites. Communion and worship services are in beautiful sanctuaries and chapels are one place where we catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God, but it is not the only place where we catch those glimpses. It is not the only place where we experience the risen Christ among us. Whenever we work for the kingdom, whenever we work to feed those who are hungry, provide comfort to those who are hurting, whenever we provide welcome to the stranger, when we work for justice and righteousness, we make the kingdom of God and the presence of Jesus Christ known. Because we know that the risen Jesus Christ can still be and is still seen today, even in unexpected places. When the body of Christ, the church, Christians gathered everywhere and scattered in all places perform acts of kindness and acts of justice. When we affirm and recognize the ever-growing family that we have in Christ, when we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, we witness to and we proclaim through our actions that best good news ever 
that Christ is risen. He is risen Amen. Because you are holy, you are gracious, God of our every moment. And being grace itself, your child was willing to become one of us. He took on our humanity so your love might be seen face to face. He blessed us when the rest of the world cursed us and tossed us aside. He broke the power of sin and dying on the cross. He gave death its notice and walked out of the tomb from which you raised him to new life. We act as if we are going on, but you urge us to stay, inviting us to this table where your spirit blesses the bread and the cup and your children gathered together. We take the bread you have blessed and in its breaking our eyes are opened to see the despair around us, to glimpse the grief of our friends, to witness to the suffering in our midst. We take the cup you give us and as we drink from it our hearts burn for the oppressed in the world, for those we walk past, for the hungry and homeless. And at the same hour when all time ends, we will return to your heart, finding our sisters and brothers gathered together around the table of your glory and join forever in singing your praises, God in community, holy in one, as we offer the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.